Good evening, everyone. And thank you for uh, being here tonight. Uh, this is the second class of our foundational Bible studies. Uh, if you missed last week's class, Bobby did a phenomenal job. And uh, at this time, I'm going to recap some of the things he discussed. So first of all, uh, this is not a how to study the Bible with someone series. Uh, instead, it's focused on enhancing our understanding of the studies so that we can use them with greater flexibility and greater context. This is also not a everything wrong with the Bible study series. Um, we instead, we're gonna honor the studies we've done in the past, but build upon it. Um, we're also gonna give additional context for greater ability to teach someone uh, using these studies and we're gonna address some potential pitfalls. Uh, first, uh, Bobby took us to Genesis. His lesson was how God has a plan. And he took us to Genesis chapter one. We see God just creating the heavens, the earth, uh, Adam and Eve in the garden. And then from there, Genesis three, there was the fall, sin entered the world when um, Adam and Eve uh, disobeyed God. However, God had a plan. Uh, he called Abraham, who was the patriarch in Genesis chapter two. And he says, look, you know, you're gonna have, um, you know, people as countless as the stars in the sky. That's how we got the song. Father Abraham had many sons and the Many sons had father. Okay, before I digress, you know what I mean. And from that lineage, uh, Bobby showed us that in Matthew 1, Jesus came from Abraham's lineage. And in John 3.16, we saw that God had a plan to, to redeem the world through Jesus and sending him to die on the cross for us. And Jesus passed it on uh, to the apostles, and the apostles passed it down to other believers, and he shared how uh, there was a future coming uh, in Revelation chapter 21, when God's plan is actually fulfilled. And he closed with two questions for us to think about, and those questions were, how would you describe God's plan for humanity? And do you want to know that God? So I'm going to keep this going. The title of my uh, lesson, the lesson I'm doing today is called Seeking God. But first I'm going to do a word study on the word seek. Um, one commentator uh, looked into the word seek as it is used in Matthew 6.33. It reads, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. And he shared how the word seek there, it's like a hunter for food and not for sport. I thought that was pretty profound. We need to seek God as though we're hunting for food 
and not nonchalantly as though it were some sort of sport. And I think a good question to ask ourselves is, are we seeking God with the same intensity? Are you seeking God with the same intensity? Now let's look over in the Hebrew. So there are two main Hebrew words for seeking or searching, and they are often found uh, in the same verse. So it's vakwash or vakwash, and it is to seek, but it's not just seeking, it's seeking to find and to actually take hold of something. And then there's the rush. The rush is searching, but more in a way of investigating or inquiring about something. One of the first uh, prophets um, was Moses who encouraged Israel to seek God. So Moses in Deuteronomy 4, he's kind of given this dissertation and he's speaking to the people and it's almost prophetic. And he's telling them, if you happen to disobey God and he scatters you, right? He says, but if from there you seek, in, in other words, to find and to take hold of the Lord, your God, you will find him if you seek him again, investigate him with all your heart and with all your soul. But Moses was not the only one to encourage God's people um, to seek him. There were several men. We see David in 1 Chronicles 22. This is David to the leaders. In verse 19, he tells them, now devote your heart and soul to seeking the Lord your God. Begin to build a sanctuary of the Lord God so that you may bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord and the sacred articles belonging to God into the temple that will be built for the name of the Lord. But now did he tell Israel's leaders to see God? He himself sought God. In Psalm 63, verse 1, it says, When he, meaning David, was in the desert of Judah, he says, You, God, are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. And then we had King Asa to the people of Judah in 2 Chronicles uh, chapter 14, verse 4. It says he commanded Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their ancestors, and to obey his commands. But Asa himself went astray. So Azariah went to Asa, but not just to Asa, to the tribe of Judah and Benjamin. So Azariah says, listen to me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you when you are with him. The Lord, uh, if you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Isaiah, he said in 55, 6, he says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. 
Then there's the prophet Hosea. He says, sow righteousness for yourselves, reap the fruit of unfailing love, and break up your unplowed ground. For it is time to seek the Lord until he comes and showers his righteousness on you. Now we have God through Amos encouraging Israel to seek God. In chapter 5, verse 4 to 6, this is what the Lord says to Israel. Seek me and live. Seek the Lord and live. Zephaniah 2.3. Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land. Now, this is pretty much uh, every humble person in the land. You who do what he commands. Seek righteousness. Seek humility. And then, of course, there's Jeremiah 29, um, which we will get to a little later. So we're going to fast forward to um, the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 17, beginning verse 16, uh, this is the apostle Paul. It reads, while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. And here is on the screen is a are pagan temples. This one was Erechtheion, and it was dedicated to the goddess Athena and the god Poseidon. So when Paul shared this, this is what he was referring to. Let's read on. It says, so he reasoned in the synagogues with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day, with those who happened to be there, a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. They took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching you are presenting. So this discussion is happening right here on this structure, right here on top of the rock is where Paul was having this discussion with these guys. Okay, it's a rocky hill, they called it Mars, and we know Mars was a Roman god. And they would also have judicial deliberations here. And in Paul's case, spiritual deliberations. Let's continue reading. It says, you're bringing some strange ideas into our ears and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who live there spent their time doing nothing but talking and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I am going to proclaim to you. He says, 
The God who made the world and everything in it is Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he gives, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. So we are all here because God, at some point in his wisdom, he set up our appointed time and our appointed place. My time and place was 31 years ago uh, on the campus of Hunter College. Someone reached out to me and um, I studied the Bible. That was my time and place. And I sought God, found him and been following him ever since. You know, three weeks ago today, I, I was sitting down speaking to a colleague. I'm a teacher for those of you who don't know. And I hold a Bible discussion every Wednesday at my job. And there's one particular colleague of mine, a female colleague, she would attend, but sometimes she would miss. And three weeks ago, she missed the Bible discussion. So she caught up with me later and asked me to share the lesson with her, which I did. So she started um, sharing about her um, spiritual journey and just different things and felt as though the Holy Spirit was prompting me to, to share with her. So I shared this passage with her. Actually, I had her read it. And as she read it, she began to sob. She began to cry. She was sitting, she stood up. She was so convicted by the word and, and she started crying. She immediately asked me to pray. So I prayed with her and she was saying, oh, I, I don't feel like I'm ready. I said, you're ready because God has set your time and, and your place. And I must confess, I also got teary-eyed because God couldn't have made himself more evident. And as a result, my colleague, she actually attended church um, uh, virtually. She attended church online. Um, I connected her with a sister who's part of the Brooklyn ministry, and she's coming to their Bible talks on, on Wednesday, and they're going to tailor it uh, for her. And it's on the very topic that we're talking about today, and that's seeking God, seeking Jesus. So please pray for my colleague. Okay, next. Gone, my screen froze there. this out. Okay, I think we're good now. Okay. 
Another example of this can be found in 2 Samuel 14, just to give you a bit of context here. So David had a son named Absalom, and Absalom killed one of his brothers for committing something very horrific. So Absalom flees uh, for his life. And, you know, David is mourning the loss of one son and at the same time hurting for this son who, who's left him and who left Jerusalem. So one of David's men, Joab, summons this wise woman of Tekoa to kind of convince David how he should do whatever he can as a father to bring back his son. And the woman shares this, it's very interesting. She says, like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be recovered, so we must die. But that is not what God desires. Rather, he devises ways so that a banished person does not remain banished from him. So she convinces David, and then David um, sends out for his son, and they are reunited. But again, here we see that God devises ways. Uh, just how we saw in Acts, we see it in the New Testament. We also see it in the Old Testament. All right. We're going to look at the text in context. Um, this is a very popular passage of scripture, Jeremiah 29. I'm going to share some thoughts here. So it reads, this is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem. So again, Jeremiah is not in Babylon. He, he is actually in Jerusalem, and he sent a, a letter through one of his servants named uh, Jemariah, as we will read. Uh, so Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jehoiachin and the queen mother, the court officials and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the skilled workers and the artisans had gone into exile from Jerusalem. He entrusted the letter to Elasa, son of Shaphan, and to Jemariah, son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. It said, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. What I appreciate about this text here is God has taken responsibility. He's saying, I am the one who carried you into exile. Because at this point, um, Jerusalem had forsaken God, abandoned God for, for centuries, for generations, and he disciplined them by sending them into exile in Babylon. But while they were there, he, told, he tells them, build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons 
and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there and do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because if it prospers, you too will prosper. So God is basically telling his people, hey, prosper where you planted. Yes, I know you're in exile, but don't worry, you know, raise families and don't decrease in number. Okay, I'm in control. Continue to have kids. Continue to increase. Don't let this discourage you. It goes on. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. See, what these false prophets were doing is they were telling the Jews that they're going to be leaving Babylon soon. They're not going to be in captivity any longer and that they should get ready. But that's not what God says. Pick it up in verse 10. This is what the Lord says. When the 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. And God did keep his promise. They were there for uh, 70 years from 605 to 536 BC. Now, verse 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me. Again, this sense of seeking uh, to find and to hold on. And I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me. When you seek me, again, you're investigating me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord. I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. So again, God is just saying that if you pray to me, you know, the way we see God is by prayer. And if you seek to me, not just to kind of like, not for sport, as we mentioned earlier, but if you really seek me in order to grab hold of me, you will find me. And if you investigate me, I will be found by you. That was God's promise to them. So how do we apply this to our lives? God disciplines his people right? when they rebel when they disobey him. However, uh, they need to prosper where they are planted. We need to prosper where we're planted. Maybe we don't like our circumstance, but God wants us to prosper. And God keeps his promises. We see that he said, I'd come back for you in 70 years, and he did. And yes, God does have a plan for you and I, and we must seek him in order to find him.
So I want to share how Jesus um, sought God. Now, did he need to see God? No, because he was God. He was the son of God. However, he exemplified someone who sought God. In Mark 1.35, says, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Now, am I saying that you need to get up very early in the morning while it's still dark to, and go off to a solitary place where you prayed? Of course I am. No, I'm just kidding. Um, yes, this is an example that he set for us and we will, as part of seeking God, it helps us to be close to God. I know some of the best times that I have with God is on my way to work, um, I will park, find a solitary place, and pray. And I, it just sets me up for the day. I just feel so transfigured. Again, in Luke 5.16, it says, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Next, in Luke 6, Verse 12, it says, one day soon afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain to pray, and he prayed to God all night. I mean, imagine that. Is that seeking God or what? This is the heart we need to, to have. Even though, you know, we may don't have to spend the entire night praying to God, Jesus sets an example. We need to have great times in prayer in both quantity and quality times. So why does God set up times and places for us? These are some questions that you can ask um, the people that you're studying with or, or even ourselves. Why does God set up times and places? Do you believe that God puts us in each other's lives for a reason? It's another question you can ask. And lastly, what is one practical way that we can seek God with all of our hearts? So there is actually another way that we can seek God with all of our hearts, and that is through his word. And we will look at that next time. Thank you, and may God bless you all.